Yo, what up, guys? So today I wanted to discuss some just overall draft, um, fantasy football draft strategies. So I'm going to tell you kind of how I view the draft and what my goals are. And uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. So first things first, I like to take best value available. Best player available, yeah, but more about value. Where is his ADP? Where can I take him that's closest to where I like where I absolutely have to take him. So I don't want to take a guy in the first round if I think I, if I'm pretty damn sure I can get him in the second, you know, unless I just have an outrageous grade on him. Okay. So early on in drafts, I like to go safe. I like to go very, very safe, but also high. Fl- I mean, I want the upside as well, right? Cause like, I don't want to just draft some RB two in the first round. So for example, in 2018, I I had um, I took Christian McCaffrey with the sixth overall pick, and if anybody really remembers 2018, you remember that Christian McCaffrey was a fringe first round guy. He was like late one to mid two was where you could get him. I had the sixth overall pick in my home league, um, which which was a twelve man league. I had heard chatter that he was going to be a, that that someone was planning on taking him late in the first round or top of the second, somewhere in there. So I knew there's no chance of me getting him in the second round. And I just really wanted them on my team, not just because I'm a Panther fan, but because I knew that in a full PPR league, which that is, um, I knew that his floor would be so high that even if he doesn't do what I think he's going to do, which is be first or second best running back in fantasy when I was, and I was pretty damn convinced of it. Even if he doesn't do that, he's going to catch five or six passes a game, which gives me double digit points, like basically every week at, at a minimum. You know what I mean? So even if he quote unquote busts, he's going to end up with 15 points a game for 13 points a game or something like that. So I felt fine knowing that I felt fine taking McCaffrey earlier than anybody, than most anybody else that year, simply because I knew he wasn't going to be available in the second round. My grade that I had on him, and you have to trust your gut when you're drafting, was way higher than most other people. And also, um, being a Panther fan, I kind of knew, I saw what the coaches were saying that year. That's when everybody was kind of going crazy preseason because Ron Rivera was like, I see no reason why Christian can't touch the ball 25, 30 times a game. And like, I believe Ron Rivera, because if you actually know, if you follow Ron Rivera, Panther fans will will uh, understand me on this one. He doesn't really lie. Like, he if Ron said that, I'm like, shit, I'm kind of going to take that to the bank because he doesn't like, there's not a lot of gamesmanship in that regard from Ron. He's just going to say it like kind of how it is. And he felt like Christian got 30 carries, 30 touches a game in, in college and he held up just fine. And, you know, he said it plain as day like that. And then I watched him in the preseason bust an 80 yard touchdown run. Um, against the Dolphins and I was like yeah this guy's gonna we saw as a rookie he's gonna catch 80 plus passes right and even more because that was just his rookie year production so I was like I had no problem I'm taking him earlier than most people would but it was only because I knew there was zero chance of me getting him in the second round it ended up working out great for me because I believe he finished as RB2 behind Todd Gurley that year if I remember correctly okay so I like to go Super high floor with my first two picks because I don't, it's just devastating when you miss on one of those guys. So, like I just said, if you feel like with Christian McCaffrey, like I felt like at that time, 
his floor was high just because of the the receptions he was going to get right so if you feel like for example a guy with a with a low floor this year that's going early that could end up being awesome is Aaron Jones I think he's going second or third round which is really way lower than he should be going but it makes some sense because you have to at least be a little bit concerned about the second round draft pick running back they just added um big AJ Dillon so that's a guy where, and this will bring me to my next point, you just have to be willing to miss on a guy if you're uncomfortable with him. Like, I'm fine with that. Uh, that's every quarterback like that's being overhyped every year. I'm willing to miss on them in fantasy just because they're a quarterback and I'm not going to spend that pick on them. I'm not going to spend that early pick on a quarterback. Um, but <clears throat> if it's like, let me think, who was a guy I was willing to miss on last year? Last year it was well Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, and it's in that goes for Derrick Henry this year as well. I literally just got an alert on my phone that Derrick Henry just signed a four-year extension with the Titans. Cool, but that makes me even less about Derrick Henry in terms of fantasy because I'm happy for Derrick and his family. Thank good, you know, good for him. But for as a fantasy owner, I'm not I'm not looking to roster Derrick Henry this year because. He just got paid. Okay, so that takes the like pressure off of him a little bit. And guys in contract years tend to play better. Um, but aside from that, I was regardless, I was already gonna fade him because he's not a consistent point scorer every single week. You know what I mean? He because he's so reliant on blood that bludgeoning run style, like there will be weeks. And he, and he doesn't catch many passes. There will be weeks where he's a 14 carries for 37 yards, one catch for six yards. Like there will be those types of weeks. And when you have too many of those, especially with your first or second round pick, when you have weeks like those, you you lose games because of those weeks. Like those weeks right there will lose you games because your team is essentially – that is your star players, right? Your first and second round picks. It should be your star players, like guys that you know you're getting 15, 20 points from or more, right? So um, I like to keep it as high floor as I can. Now, if you wanted to do it differently, that's fine. But here's what I would suggest. Go as high ceiling as you can and then balance that out with your mid round picks or your third round to you know, whatever, fifth round, sixth round picks and make them just as high floor as you can go. So if you look at the overall body of work in the draft, right, you look at all the players in there and you're like, man, I think there are a shitload of high floor guys I can get in rounds three to seven that I think are every week starters. Okay, then that means I'm just going to swing for the absolute fences and disregard the floor. Like, so I'll take Aaron Jones in round you know, late round one or whatever. <clears throat> um, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, be my first two picks. And you know, you can get both of them. That's fine. But I just prefer to go higher floor with the first two. But if you, whatever your strategy is, you should commit to it. Right. And then draft accordingly after that. Don't get emotional and be like, Ooh, but I want this guy. And he, you know, like, no, nah. like stick to your strategy if you're going into, if you're doing it the way I would, which is high floor early or high, or if you want to go high ceiling early, um, prioritize that 
then that's fine. But just you have to have a nice balance of floor to ceiling on your team because if you don't, you could end up with a bunch of guys that that flop and you need to have guys that you can count on. And um, yeah, I would just, I like to make those the early ones. But anyways, and by the way, if I have a, a very high floor, two guys very high floor, and let's say I have one as my fifth overall player, one as my sixth overall player in the first round, but one of them, I think his ceiling is just astronomically higher. I'll, I'll take him. I'll take the sixth best player over the fifth best player in that scenario because if I'm looking at the whole, the whole, the way the draft has unfolded thus far, and the way that I kind of like looking around who's going to be available for my next pick, if I see a bunch of, you know, high ceiling, high floor guys or whatever, like a nice yin yang that I am confident will be available for our next pick. I will be a little bit more aggressive and maybe do something that I wasn't planning on doing only if I see how the, the full picture is going to play out. So um, third thing, emotional intelligence, like dude, don't draft the name. Don't get excited because you can have, you know, three big name guys on your team and, and, and deviate from your strategy. Like whatever your draft strategy is when you're sitting in a fucking room on a, on your notebook and you're just, and you're just thinking like, okay, here's how I want to go about this. Like that, that person there that's sitting in a quiet room and just like thinking about it practically with no emotion, with no like, you know, Ooh, the draft's going on. I'm all excited. I'm, you know, like you need to listen to that person over the person that's all excited in drafting, you know? So whatever you you need to implement your strategy of some kind, right? At least a little bit, if that's your thing, which that's how I do it. But you need to have that sort of strategy, like practical sit down, what is my strategy type of thing, and then go in there and do it and stay true to it. That's it. But if you're going to, if you're going to start a draft with a strategy, then stay true to that strategy throughout the entire draft. Right. And that's what mock drafts are for. Like see which one, try multiple different strategies and see which one feels better for you. Like, you know what I mean? But, but you have to, you, in order to get a, an accurate sample size of how something feels when you're drafting, you have to do the entire draft with that same strategy. So, okay. So yeah, be emotionally intelligent, man. Listen to the, to the unemotional you, um, wait on a quarterback. I don't, I made a whole podcast episode about that. Uh, so I'm not going to get too much into that right now, but yeah, wait on them. And okay. Trust your gut, of course. And be, not only should you be willing to miss on guys that make you uncomfortable, but you should be willing to miss on guys that you have a super strong conviction on. So for example, again, to go back to 2018, I was willing to miss on Christian McCaffrey because of his, because of what I perceived his floor to be but mainly because of just how strong my conviction was on him. Last year, I had a very, very strong conviction on Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. And I know Joe Mixon, a lot of people gave me shit for the first half of the year because Mixon wasn't dominating, right? Like he he wasn't getting very many touches and it wasn't going great. And I doubled down on him and I said, buy low on Joe Mixon if you don't own him. If you do own him, don't let someone like me buy him for pennies on the dollar because he will finish strong. 
And sure enough, he did. He finished as a top like three running back, I believe, over the last five or six, seven weeks. <clears throat> so he helped people like me win a championship, uh, which I did in my home league um, in large part because of Mixon. He did disappoint me against the Dolphins in that one week down the stretch, but he he had a big week. Um, so you have to be willing to miss on guys that you're because because they make you uncomfortable and you have to be willing to miss on guys because you're so convicted on them because if you don't then that means you're not trusting your instincts and you have to you have to trust your gut man you have to so okay draft production do not draft names like don't draft Todd early in the second round because you know bottom the second round because you feel like Oh, have Julio Jones and Todd Gurley or whatever. You know, I'm using Julio as an example of a big name. But, like, don't draft names, okay? Draft production and use most recent trends because that's what they've most recently done on a football field. It just makes sense, right? Like, it's important to look at what they've most recently done on a field in terms of production, not in terms of star power where they play, who the, you know what I mean? How cool they are, what their Instagram following is like, nothing, just production. Put your blinders on and focus only on production and emphasize the most recent production, but don't limit yourself to what they did most recently. Use common sense to contextualize what they most recently did production-wise and why, like, okay, well, he did have a you know a sorry a bad end to what you know last season, but let's take a look at his supporting cast. Let's take a look at this, and don't try and convince yourself to to look at it optimistically. Look at it objectively, like just look at it for what it is, and then come up with a logical conclusion based on that. Okay, um, dude, <clears throat> something that I think is super important. So I already told you guys. For me, I like going high floor early, super, super high floor. Something that I'm just obsessed with and I find myself doing it every year is for rounds, mainly rounds like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, really from rounds three on, go as as the later it gets, right? So round three, I still still prioritize floor a little bit more. Round four, a little bit more. I mean, still kind of floor, but... I'm more emphasized on ceiling. And then after that, I'm going for the jugular. I'm going for high ceiling, high upside guys. And you have to do it. I'm convinced you have to do it like several picks in a row for that, for this strategy to work high floor early, especially your first two picks, then be a little bit intuitive with picks three and four and then five, six, seven, eight and and so on. I mean, just absolute ceiling monster like you know what i mean because if you if you draft four or five guys that you are convinced they have a top 10 ceiling you're probably going to hit on one of them and if you hit on rounds four i mean rounds five six and on with on a top 10 player or two or three that's how you win leagues that is how you win leagues so um and you set yourself up for that if you take as high floors as you can early you know, specifically in rounds one, two, and and then three and four, a little bit in between. And then from then on, I mean, don't do stupid stuff like take, you know what I mean? Some guy nobody's ever heard of. You still have to do everything else I'm saying where you where you 
you factor in where you can get them. Like, okay, can I get them in? Can I get them in? I like them in round six, but can I get them in round seven? Like, have that conversation with yourself. No, I don't think he'll be there, or there's a decent chance he'll be there, but I don't. You know, I'd rather just put him on my team than do that. Instincts. It's it's about using all these things with common sense and context. And most recent production, all those things like added up. That's how that's how I draft, you know, every year. So, um, <clears throat> and then do not allow narratives to screw with how you see a guy. So, if your natural reaction is like, "Oh wow, this guy should be, you know, an RB two, high end RB two, or or whatever," like, don't let the narrative like if for example if you are super not concerned about aj dillon uh the packers spent a second round pick on as a running back and you're like dude aaron jones was like a top five or maybe better running back last year what are you guys talking about and it just seems obvious to you then then draft aaron jones in the second round or first round with confidence because well depending on where his ADP is, every, like I said, everything has to be considered. But if you just feel like it's obvious that you're right, then just trust that and take them with confidence. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> don't do it because you're a Packers fan. Like really think about it and, and uh, you know, make the make good decisions. But trust your gut. Don't worry about the narratives. As a matter of fact, I like to live in the space of, where the narratives are, where I think they're all dropping the ball, I like to just live in those cracks and just whatever they drop, I pick it up and eat it. You know what I mean? Like I, I live in that space, especially if it's rounds four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and and even later. But um, but yeah, I mean, like last year, I I planned in every league to draft <clears throat> Chris Godwin and Tyler Boyd basically later, and I I got them, and it was it was everything I hoped for because I was just so convinced in those two guys and I just felt like they were being super undervalued and I love, I loved their value and I knew I could get them in rounds. Like I think it was three, four or five, somewhere in there. And I just, in pretty much every league I, I own those guys. So <clears throat> that worked out really well for me. And uh, that if I didn't, if I was listening to other narratives and not just trusting my instincts then I wouldn't have taken Chris Godwin like I had him as a I think top 12 receiver or maybe top 14 receiver pre um pre-draft last season and people were like whoa you're super high on Godwin and I even made a post on Instagram I was like no Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are the new AB and Juju of this year and people were kind of laughing at me so I I trolled you guys back when when they clearly were that. And I, I, uh, kept sharing that post to my story. So I may, I, I tend to do that. I will, I will remind you a little bit here and there. Just kidding. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, man. So I think a nice balance of floor to ceiling is very important in your overall roster construction. Um, committing to a draft philosophy where it's, you know, like maybe you don't care about that and then do your thing, you know, but, I think you should commit to a certain type of strategy. And that could be like one pick high floor, one pick high ceiling, you know, like whatever, but commit to it and then see it through to the end. Um, Another thing I really like doing for way late, I don't even, unless your league makes you do this, then, then you'll have to, but 
I don't even draft a defense or a kicker unless it's like really late and I really love a defense or whatever. But I don't draft a kicker and I and I just grab some high upside rookie that like no one's really drafting and I'll and I'll roster him late and I'll just pick up a kicker literally before the Monday night football game or or Sunday night football game of week one. So I'll see what they do, just get an extra guy on my roster, see what they do for week one. And if they don't do anything, dump them and pick up my kicker. But if they do, I'm like, oh, wow. And then I'll dump, you know what I mean? Somebody that I that I w- wouldn't have otherwise dumped in in exchange for that late round flyer. So don't I mean, there's no reason to roster a kicker for two months before the season or whatever. I don't know how soon you draft, but there's no reason to roster a kicker for even a day longer than you have to. You know what I mean? Where if you have a chance to have that um, other player, whichever wild card player you're interested in on your roster, and to if you get a chance to hold them on your roster, see what they do, and then if they don't do anything, cut them free, pick up your kicker. If they do something great and you just hit the jackpot, well, guess what? Now your 13th round pick just turned into something special, and all you had to do was like not roster a kicker for the first round of games. You know what I mean? So that, that's what I do. <clears throat> um, I started doing that last year, and I really liked it. So, um, so yeah, guys, that's about it. Uh, oh, one last thing. Don't overthink it. Just I know I, I'm throwing a lot at you, sort of, but really just everything I'm saying is is pretty common sense. It's just that you have to force yourself to stay within that common sense structure, right? And just don't overthink it. Trust your instincts. Use common sense. It's it. You know what I mean? You like, okay, for example, on the use common sense thing, a lot of people are like, oh, Philip Lindsay's a handcuff at best this year. To me, it's just so blatantly obvious that Philip Lindsay is a flex option, weekly flex option with high end, I mean, mid range, at least RB2 upside. Like Philip Lindsay, here's the common sense part of it Philip Lindsay's coming off back to back 1,000 yard seasons in his first two seasons ever, right? Rookie season and his sophomore season. Back to back thousand yard seasons, and he's and he got like thirteen or so touchdowns. Like that guy's available in the ninth round. What are we doing? I'm taking him in the eighth. Like, you know what I mean? Just I, I don't know, man. Um, use common sense. I know they signed Melvin Gordon, but they didn't give him some outrageous amount of money, and they didn't give him like a super long term deal. Philip Lindsay is basically in a sort of a contract here because he's the um, undrafted guys only get the three year deal so he'll he'll get a tender most likely after next year but but if he dominates they might just want to lock him up to a sort of austin eckler type deal um in denver and so he's sort of in a contract year which is great and yeah man i just think that shit like that don't overthink it and just be practical about it common sense you know take them at at that price so um, so yeah, guys, just, that's my thoughts on just how I draft pretty much overall. And, uh, let me know how you feel about those, that philosophy, um, DM me, my DMS are open Instagram at fair shake football and Twitter at fair shake FB. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.